My name is Susie Can, and I hope you enjoy exploring with me the thoughts that come with this thread. If you have any interest in supporting what I'm doing or getting in touch, please do so through the website kylak.ie, where you will also find other resources and connections that I create around each podcast so that if some of the tweaks of interest come to you through them, you have a place to go to go a little further and deeper or to find other information or to find a way to support by maybe wanting to collaborate or offer something or even a donation. Thanks for listening. A lot of the systems that I have been exploring and different ways to look at systemic thinking in the world have their basis in the acceptance that we live in a multifaceted, complex system. And one of the pieces that I want to explore is the idea of something called ecological intelligence, because In order to think systemically, even though there are disciplines of study that do have strong aspects of systems thinking like engineering, there's even business systems thinking, that foundation for those is based on the reality we find ourselves living in, even engineering that's basing it on understanding complex systems. There are systems that obey the laws of physics that they're looking at in terms of modeling and trying to make sense of how something interacts as a system. So what I want to do is explore a little bit more about what is ecology and what is ecological intelligence, because permaculture draws heavily on that. And I've talked before about how a foundational element in exploring permaculture is observation of nature. And so one route to becoming more ecologically intelligent is to just very simply spend a lot of time doing sit spots and observing what nature you can see around you, no matter where you are, because you will find that nature exists in the city and it exists in bigger spaces in the countryside, but in parks and maybe even in the most clean looking apartment, it exists at the bottom of your cupboard under the sink. One time, one of my offspring put some yeast and water and sugar in a jar and put it on the window and labeled it life. So there's things that are alive in your cupboards, in your food. And if they're living foods, then that comes from the culture of the soil and the the culture that's in the soil that's in your gut influences everything. I think it influences culture and the idea of fast food monoculture is the eradication of that diversity of culture and that leads to a, a degrading and degradation of culture at, at every level. So we have the invisible cultures of the soil, but that has this then effect on the taste of the plants, the taste of the cheeses of a region, the taste of a wheat 
all of that's changed by the soil cultures. And so when we talk about permaculture as permanent culture or as a lovely man I met in Belize talks about, he says he doesn't practice agriculture. He practices agri-culture. So he wants to agree with nature and not fight against her. And through that, regenerate the cultures on his farm and in his region. To understand ecology through simple observation and sit-spotting and learning through that lens of your senses and your observation of everything through your body to your smell to everything is definitely one way to begin to look at the complex systems that within nature. But it can help as a Westerner to have the ecological frameworks that might help be a bridge as we try to return to that connected understanding that Indigenous peoples had through their education system, through their observation, through their elders, through the stories and narratives that help weave together their world. We use the stories perhaps of more of the science-based languages that are used within ecology. So to start with a, a definition of what is ecology, it's thought of as a study. So it's a study of the relationships between living organisms. So including us humans and our physical environment. And there are different types of ecology then in terms of things that you could study. You could study molecular ecology or organism ecology, population community ecology, global ecology, landscape ecology, ecosystem ecology. So they're all different ways of trying to understand the relationships between living things. And that's why it's something that indigenous peoples had a study of their natural environment and had all of the languages that went along with that, all of the stories. So if you're studying Ecology, one of the things that you might study is biodiversity, because that's the variation between the living organisms that would give you a sense of different ecosystems and the ecological complexes of which those are then part. So one of the things is that the understanding of nature, it helps to understand that everything is nested within something else. And so you have terrestrial or land-based Ecologies, you have marine and ocean and sea-based ecologies and other aquatic ecosystems, rivers and lakes. And they're, of course, all part of the world. And then we're part of the niches within those systems. And we live in a diverse ecosystem. Even within our guts, we have a diverse ecosystem. We have a biome in our stomachs. So you can really see how you could get into studying this forever, trying to understand it forever. And you, there's so much more to learn. You can never learn everything that there is to learn about an ecosystem around you in one lifetime. Everything about every ecosystem on the planet. You can, through the study of ecology, you can understand some of the patterns that repeat. And these are some of the things that do get used in permaculture. And those patterns then help you understand systems, which is why I'm saying that systems are then related to every level of human understanding, because it's really how we, we look at the whole world. One of the niches that ecologists occupy within the sciences as a sort of sub 
science of biology is by trying to understand the relationships between a living thing and something else, they can figure out what's going on in the wider ecosystem because they look across multiple different relationships and they might do that by understanding how well is a particular species doing in an ecosystem. I mean, that could be how well is fungus doing under your sink? How abundant is it? And what's going on there? And that would be maybe trying to figure out, well, there's a drip there. And so there's some moisture and that would be a factor that's having an effect on distribution of the organism. Or maybe there's nutrients from some of the compost that you keep under there. And that would be a relationship then with another organism. If you took that to something bigger in an ecosystem like bats, I got to go recently on a bat walk with a group of people on a biodiversity course and we got to detect and watch bats at night on a river. And one of the things that we were learning about then were what were the factors that would change the abundance of bats in an area and how well they were thriving. So ecologists might find that there were factors such as the way that bridges are constructed today out of block with seal joints and not out of stone with cracks and crevices. So there was less habitat for bats to live in and to overwinter in particularly, or that there were less older farm buildings with bigger spaces that are the maternity roosts of bats. Or they might look at a living factor like the availability of insects in an area where maybe there's high sprays of pesticides. So that understanding those factors then help to understand the decline or the increase in abundance. Just to understand the sort of layeredness of that is that you might have a tree in the forest at the level of an organism. All the other trees living around it are the population of that organism. And all the populations of all the different species in the forest are a community. And an ecosystem then consists of a community of lots of living organisms and the physical environment, like maybe a river or cliffs around them. And then the biosphere is all of the ecosystems of the earth considered together. So that way you can look at levels of ecology from small to large made up of populations and ecosystems made up of the communities and so on. So just to distinguish in terms of understanding what people mean when they talk about biology versus what they talk about when they talk about ecology, is that biology would study the questions of what and how. So it's the study of life itself, whereas ecology is studying the questions of who, when and why. So once you start to understand and observe the different creatures that are making up a community of life and how they are interacting with each other in an ecosystem, you can start to see some of the functions that different elements are carrying out in the system and particularly how energy flows, the things that keep the system alive, the nutrient cycles and the energy, how it enters the system. Well, on planet Earth, 
the energy is coming from the sun. It comes down and photosynthesizes to be captured on earth by the plant life, which is incredible what the plant life is doing and how sophisticated it is. A leaf, it's way more efficient at capturing solar energy than even the most advanced solar panels humans have come up with so far. And it captures it and uses the energy of the sun to also take carbon out of the air. So if you think of the air that's around you, this invisible gases that you're breathing in and out and carbon being a component of that and all of that energy coming from the sun through photosynthesis to take it and to turn it into something in solid form, not gas form. So you think of a tree or knock on a piece of wood and realize that's carbon from the air generated by the solar energy taken up by photosynthesis in the plant. So that's then decomposes. So part of the functions of components in an ecosystem are everything that's part of the decomposing and the decomposers of the plant matter into the soil and on planet Earth, the soil and all the life in that system is like an earth battery. It stores up the nutrients from the leaves that took energy from the sun, that took their carbon and other minerals and materials from their environment. And then the microorganisms in the soil store that up so they produce sugars that then feed bacteria, that then feed fungi, that then feed the plants. And you get this cycling or movement of energy through the system. So you have producers, consumers, decomposers, and all the other substances that aren't alive. So it's a physical thing and it's not derived from a living organism. Those are the things like air, water, rocks. These are the, the non-living things that are part of an ecosystem. So when you get those basic concepts of of ecosystems and relationships between them, it is a route back to understanding just how much diversity there is and how many material cycles and exchanges that go on within our world all of the time. And I find that if you can do the sit spotting or you can go on a walk with a knowledgeable botanist or you can talk to anyone who has that passion for particular parts of nature. I've also been doing recently a rivers course as part of a, a free offer by the local development companies in Wicklow and a whole new ecosystem and ecology understanding opened up to me because of the community of life that lives in and around a river wasn't one that I was very familiar with. I grew up on the sea, had a lot more understanding of the, the shoreline and the kinds of life that lives there and some of the relationships between those watching seagulls lifting shellfish and dropping them onto hard rocks and going down and eating them. So I understood some of those exchanges. But getting into river ecology and learning about all of the different flying things that have their larval stage inside of rivers, so mayflies and stoneflies and caddisflies and midges and common houseflies, all these creatures that live in their 
invertebrate stage in a river, the relationship between them and the fish. And so if you can take a dip of water out of a river and have a look and learn, as I've been doing, how to identify a mayfly, if you see an abundance, so there's that relative abundance again, if you see a, an abundance of mayfly larvae in the river, then you know that it's going to be a healthy river for fish because trout need those bigger invertebrates to eat as they come up and turn into flies. They they actually get bigger and bigger and they shed their skin. Some of these creatures come up and they sit on the water tension in their last skin and they it sort of splits open and they sit in up on their skin and dry out and out come their wings and then they take off and they're vulnerable at that time as they're drying out and just ready to fly for a trout to come and eat them. So there's all of these incredible ecosystems and understanding of these relationships between individuals that is, I suppose, what I started this by saying is ecological intelligence and ecological education, ecological understanding and that because we've been severed from that and had so much fragmentation and seeing everything as individuals and seeing things as split apart and not in relationship to other things, I think that's been a real underpinning of the decline in knowing what is a downstream consequence. So, for example, in the river, a non-living factor could be a culvert, as I learned, where there's a bridge built and there's a base put in and in the modern bridges they put a big piece of cement down at the bottom of the bridge and what happens that the river rushes over the cement and maybe then there's a drop and while fish can go upstream and they can leap up things it uses huge energy and in some instances if the river water is coming too fast across a whole stretch of flat cement they can't navigate that at all. They use normally the kinds of meanders and weaves and rocks and fallen trees to create the types of natural riverbed that then a, a trout has evolved to navigate and to move up between and maybe shelter behind something and rest and move up again and move up again. There's relationships between things and if you don't have an ecological intelligence and understanding then you don't notice those kinds of impacts on the world around us. And I think you can take that intelligence, as I said, and apply it elsewhere. If you have a one-size-fits-all solution to almost anything, whether that is well-being in 12-year-olds or elder care, separate from relationships with family or community, then you get more and more fragmented understandings and more and more unintended downstream effects within your systems. I think that starting a rekindling of nature-based intelligence, and it's very exciting to see that there is a rise in children in nature programs, in forest school programs, and returning to what I was really, really lucky to have, which was a huge amount of free time to be in nature and observe nature from very young around rock pools or in the bottom of gardens under hedges or in forests and up some mountains and, and so on. 
that our children get access to exploring nature in that way gives them the foundations anyway for understanding that there's something going on here that they could know more about the relationships between the elements that they see, the organisms they see, and noticing how the cycles of nature happen, how nutrients get moved about, who's eating who, and how things grow. And all of that is part of understanding of ecology. And I think it's a, a vital skill and knowledge and part of the journey back to a connected world and a rekindling of our indigenous understanding of the world. That to me is vital if we're going to design any kind of system change.